morning. So, this is week 50. So if you're here visiting, we'll catch you up. It'll, it'll take an hour to catch you up. No, just kidding. Uh, in, in our History of Redemption series, it's really where we've been going through the Bible, studying the history of God's redeeming of His people. And it's really, uh, along with our Advent, it's really a, a love story, as Jim pointed out, how God has demonstrated demonstrated his love for us. We're currently reading through the epistles. It's a fancy word for the letters. The letters like Romans, we talked about last week, Philippians, Colossians, Galatians, Thessalonians. That's that hard one. Uh, Timothy, Peter, John, Jude, all those uh, epistles. Now, Now, most of these letters written from certain individuals to churches or to, or to individuals, uh, most of them were written by one guy, the, the Apostle Paul. So this morning, instead of looking at what we've been doing all year, we've been looking sort of at a book, we've been overviewed a book, or we've taken a passage and looked at what's God doing at this time in redemptive history. This morning, we're going to look at several verses that give us some insight into the character of this guy, Paul. Seeing a little bit of who Paul was, allowing him to be an example uh, for us. Now, you might be thinking, why look at Paul? He's just an author. He just wrote some stuff. Jesus is our perfect example. Why bother with second best when we have number one, right? Well, there are several reasons. Consider what uh, J.O. Sanders wrote in his book titled Paul the Leader. He, said, he writes, in Christ we have the inspiration of the... Uh, of the real man who never failed, while in Paul we have the encouragement of a man who fell and rose again. Christ, the perfect man, reveals what the ideal is. Paul, a man defeated and finally victorious, discloses what by the grace of God we may become. Yes, Jesus is our first and our best example, but Paul provides us this different kind of example. And Paul himself, himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, encourages us to follow his example. Philippians 4.9, he writes, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, not me, Paul, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he writes, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In Paul, we have a God-given example of one who was transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's a man who, who in many ways is just like us. And therefore we can aspire, we can be encouraged to be like him. We can learn from him as he seeks to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Now if you've, if you've read through the book of Acts, you're familiar with uh, Paul's background. Just a, a brief little overview. He was a Jew born in the city of Tarsus about 1 A.D. He was given the name Saul after, his, uh, after the first king of Israel, King Saul. But since he was a Roman citizen, he was also given a Greek name, which was Paulus. So he was really Saul and Paul. And as an adult, Saul, Paul, became a Pharisee. And as such, he studied, he adhered strictly to the law. To the, to the Torah, to the Old Testament. He was also a member of the, the Sanhedrin. This is the Jewish ruling council. 
And like most Pharisees, especially the Sanhedrin, if you've read through the Gospels, these guys opposed uh, Christ. They opposed the followers of Christ. In fact, Paul himself became the chief persecutor of the church. But one fateful day, on the road to Damascus, where Paul was going to hope and hoping to arrest more followers of Christ, he was instead confronted by Christ. He, he, he met Christ. Christ came to him and he was converted. And on that day, Paul's transformation began. He began to preach the gospel. He would later plant churches throughout much of the known world. He spent time in courts of kings. He spent time debating with philosophers. He spent time in prison for sharing the gospel. And ultimately, he was killed. He was martyred for his faith in Christ. Now, by reading through the book of Acts and by Paul's letters, there's a lot, there's just a ton of stuff that we could learn about this man. There's much to imitate. But we only have a short time, so I'm going to focus on what I believe are are three key qualities, three aspects of Paul's character that I believe we at Bridges Church, we need to see and we need to imitate. We need to be like him in these. It's my prayer that as we examine these three qualities, uh, that we would be inspired by him, that we would be motivated by him to be like Paul in these areas. And the first quality I want us to look at, I want us to imitate is Paul had passion for Christ. Paul had passion for Christ. Uh, WW, I don't think, did we do, is the WW gone? We don't really do that. Dictionary.com, no more W's, defines passion as a powerful emotion or boundless enthusiasm. Boundless enthusiastic. Now, Paul was a passionate man, even before he came to Christ. If you, if you read through the first part of the book of Acts, you find him passionately, enthusiastically persecuting the church. But after he met Jesus on that road to Damascus, a change took place. And it seems that from that moment on, Christ became the overriding passion of Paul's life. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he writes of his desire to know Him, to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, and and that he may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Paul's passion was to know more of Christ. It was his over, he was driven to know, I want to know Christ. Many of us would say, we want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection. How many of us would say, and in the fellowship of His suffering? Sharing in His suffering. Paul wanted to experience all of Christ. He wanted to be like Christ in every every way possible, even in his death. This was his passion. Philippians 1.21, Paul writes, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Christ was everything to Paul. So much so that he saw death when he would come face to face with Jesus as gain. It's a positive, it's a win. So more than anything, he wanted to be with Christ. Now, Paul certainly had other desires, other wants, But everything came in submission to Christ. Nothing was more important than Christ. In Philippians 3.8, he writes really this amazing statement about himself. He says, indeed, I count everything, everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I mean, just think, everything is lost. 
For his sake, for Christ's sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Compared to knowing Christ, compared to gaining Christ, everything else in this life was loss, was rubbish, was trash. He would and he he did give up everything else to gain Christ. If there was something in his way of his relationship with Christ, something that was causing him uh, to not be able to have fellowship with Christ, it was gone. It was out of there. Paul's passion for Christ defined who he was. It defined what he did. So what about us? Can we follow Paul's example? Is it even possible? Can we honestly say to live is Christ, to die is gain? I'm looking forward to that day. You know, the more of the, I know we have some grandparents here, so I hesitate to say this, but the older I get, and I'm not a grandparent yet, but the older I get, the more I'm looking forward to being with Christ, that his body is breaking down. But compared to, to, to knowing Christ, everything is loss. Can we say everything is loss, is rubbish compared to knowing Christ? Can we give up Anything and everything that interferes with our relationship with Christ. I was recently talking to one of my friends uh, from college. He was lamenting uh, the fact that his, his life was not close to today. Uh, the passion for Christ that he had when, when we were in college. And I don't think he's alone. Many of us can point to a time in the past when we had greater passion for Christ. And like my friend, we lament and ask ourselves, uh, what happened? He said that it seemed in his life that once he got married, once he got a job, once he bought a house, once he had some kids, it seemed that his passion for Christ just dwindled. That his passion for Christ was diminished by his passions for other things. Maybe that sounds familiar. We often lose our passion for Christ when other things, other responsibilities come into our lives. Sometimes those other things are bad. Some of those are wrong. They're sinful. We need to just get rid of them. But often they're good things. Good things that we allow to take the place of Christ in our heart. But does it have to be that way? Must we let the things of life crowd out our passion for the things of God, for the things of Christ? And I think the answer is surely not. No. So how do we maintain our passion for Christ amid all of life's good and bad stuff? And I think Paul can help us there as well. What enabled Paul to maintain such spiritual fervor? Why? Uh, From conversion to death was he so passionate for Christ. I think what he writes in 2 Corinthians 5.14 gives us a clue. And we could look at many many places. Just one example. Paul's writing about why he does what he does. Why he goes from place to place. This was what he did. He was was a missionary. uh, Going from place to place. Telling people about Jesus. And he says, for the love of Christ controls, or the NIV says, compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Our Advent today is about God's love for us and how God's love for us, we can love one another and we can love God. Paul was controlled, he was compelled by the love of Christ. 
It invaded his soul. Paul's passion, his love for Christ, was driven by Christ's love for him. And Christ's love was demonstrated to him by his sacrificial death on the cross for all, including Paul. Nothing was more real or true to Paul than Christ's loving sacrificial death for him. It was ever in the the forefront of his mind. For Paul, Christ's love for him was real. It was tangible. Jesus Christ wasn't just some theological idea. He wasn't some historical figure. He wasn't some religious concept. Jesus was the reality of his life. Jesus was the one who loved Paul enough to die in his place. And the knowledge of Christ's loving sacrifice sustained Paul's passion for Christ. And it can sustain sustain our passion as well, I believe. If we want to have passion for Christ, we have to maintain this real, this tangible, this loving relationship with the One who died in our place. We must, uh, through His Word, through the gift of His Word, through the gift of, of prayer, through the gift of the body of Christ, one another, we must seek to know Him more and more and more every day. To know Christ. We must invite Him to be part of and rule over our other passions. He must invade our other passions in our life. Your passion about this, allow Christ to invade it. As couples and families and as a church, we must seek Christ together that Christ might become our passion. We must invite Christ to use uh, this church, to use our homes, to use our jobs, to use all of our, our resources for His purposes. And in so doing, we allow our other passions not to take away from, but to contribute to our passion for Christ. They must come in subjection to Christ. Uh, one final thing, Paul, uh, we touched on it, I just want to emphasize it. If there's something or, or someone in your life uh, that, that you're passionate about, something you spend your time and your money and your energy on, then ask yourself, does this passion increase or does this passion diminish my passion for Christ? And if it diminishes, if it takes away, if it's drawing, if it's draining, if it's like uh, sucking you dry, the, the juices, your passion for Christ, you might want to consider it as rubbish. You might want to toss it. You might want to throw it away. So first, Paul had passion for Christ. And we must grow. We must follow his example. We must grow in our passion for Christ. Second, Paul had purpose from Christ. The love of Christ controlled him. And therefore, he was driven to fulfill the purpose given to him by Jesus Christ. What was, uh, what was that purpose? Or, or purposes, maybe? As you read Paul's letter, you really, it just, it's clear. Two purposes that come forth in his life. These purposes are interrelated and in some way they're inseparable. They go together. But to help us understand, I'm going to separate them and then I'm going to bring them back together, okay? Paul's first purpose was to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Following his conversion, Paul was given this purpose, specifically Jesus himself. Acts 9.15, Jesus speaking about Paul, he says, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. 
carry the name of Christ, to take Christ where Christ had not been heard. And when we read through the book of Acts, which records Paul's missionary journeys, three missionary journeys, he went out, he came back, different places. Or, or if we read his letters to the early churches, we see that Paul was driven to accomplish this purpose. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, he writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He's writing this from prison. He's in prison. I want you to know that this, is, this imprisonment is advancing the gospel. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul writes, in prison, and he says that his imprisonment is advancing the gospel. How? Because it's given encouragement to the brothers to speak the word of God more boldly. Hey, Paul, what an inspirational guy he is. Others saw Paul's example. They saw his passion for Christ, his not holding back. Threats came upon him. If you keep preaching, we're going to toss you in jail. And he kept preaching. They saw his passion, his purpose, and it emboldened them. But also notice there were some who preached the gospel out of selfish. They were like in competition with Paul. At least they felt so. What is Paul's response to that? He's so single-minded, so purposeful, it doesn't phase him. He says, what does it matter? The important thing is that Christ is proclaimed. Now sometimes when we proclaim Christ, there might be uh, sacrifices, right? Some uncomfortable situations. Maybe some lost, if you're going to, if you're a Christian, I don't, don't want to have a relationship with you. I don't want to be around you. They make assumptions about what it means to be a Christian. I don't want to be part of that. Maybe lost reputation. If you're a Christian, uh, you're not a thinking person. People looking down on you. But Paul says at the end of verse 18, and remember, he's sacrificed his freedom. He's going to eventually sacrifice his life for advancing the gospel. And he says, Christ is proclaimed, and in, in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Preaching the gospel may cause discomfort. It may mean sacrifice. But it always brings joy. If your life lacks joy, uh, if your life lacks passion, if your life lacks purpose, may I recommend you become involved some way, somehow, in advancing the gospel. I found that sharing your faith with others always brings joy. There's, there's joy. In, in, in the past, Christine and I participated in a program called Evangelism Explosion. Maybe you've heard of it. Once a week, we'd go in that ever-popular way of sharing your faith. We'd go door-to-door, just knocking on people's doors. Hello, we're here. And people would look at us strangely. Now, during that time, uh, not one person that I'm aware of received Christ. 
He planted some seeds. We even received some uh, minor persecution. People angry at us, slamming the door in our faces. And we experienced some sorrow because people were rejecting Christ. But we also rejoiced, knowing that we were doing what God wanted us to do in that moment. We were fulfilling the purpose He had given us. It's not just the results that bring us joy, but it's the act of being involved in God's purposes. That was certainly true for Paul. He rejoiced that at whatever circumstances, in whatever way that the gospel went forth. So Paul's first purpose was to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And second, related purpose, and we'll show how they're related, was to exalt the glory of Christ. It's the second purpose that drove the first. I put the first first, but really this is the first in priority. Paul proclaimed the gospel of Christ in order to exalt the glory of Christ. In Philippians 1, 1, where we just read, Paul's writing from prison. He's talking about how his experience uh, has advanced the gospel. He's asking for prayer. Verse 20, he writes, With full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's prayer from prison is that Christ would be honored in his body, that that he would honor Christ in everything that he said and that he did. His purpose in all he did, whether in life or death, was to honor Christ. Now that word honor is the Greek uh, megalino. It means to, to make great, to increase, to magnify, to glorify, to exalt. If Paul lived and exalted Christ, great. Whether I live by life or death, if, if, his, if his living caused exaltation, honoring, lifting up of Christ, then he was good with that. And if he died, if his death exalted Christ, great. Paul's purpose was to exalt, to glorify Christ no matter what. He proclaimed the gospel of Christ in order to exalt the glory of Christ. As Paul served the Lord by proclaiming the gospel, the gospel went forth. And men and women turned from their sin and they turned to Jesus Christ. Christ was exalted in their lives. Sometimes we think that we exalt or we worship Christ only on, on Sunday mornings or, or when we're singing or when, in times of prayer. And, and yes, those are important times of worship, of exalting Christ together or even in your own devotional time. But Christ is exalted, I believe, all the more if when we leave this place driven by our our passion for Christ and knowing our purpose from Christ, that we go into the world proclaiming Christ in order that Christ might be exalted in our body. That we, He might be glorified in all that we say, in all that we do. And for Paul, it wasn't just uh, that his act of proclaiming the gospel exalted Christ. It was that when he proclaimed the gospel, others were enabled to exalt Christ. It, 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 was a, it was an increase as he told others, as he shared the gospel. Others were then, others who came to Christ, were able to, to exalt Christ as well. In Romans chapter 15, he writes of the specific ministry. We talked about it in Acts 9.15. Now, he talks about it in uh, Romans 15.9-11. Uh, As the apostle to the Gentiles, he proclaims the gospel to the Gentiles. Why? Romans 59. In order that Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. 
as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Paul preaches to the Gentiles, to non-Jews, to to people like us, so that the Gentiles, why? May glorify God. Paul did what he did that God might be glorified, that Christ might be exalted. So what, again, what about us? I don't claim to know what what your individual specific purpose from God is. For Paul, it was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. For me now, uh, my purpose is pastoring, equipping the people at Bridges Church. These specific purposes are are different from person to person, maybe even from time to time. Your purpose, specific purpose might change. But the overall purpose, all of our overall purpose for each of us is proclaiming the gospel of Christ in order that Christ might be exalted. God has called every Christian to be involved in bringing Him glory. He did this by giving us, giving us, uh, this is a gift, by the way, uh, a part in the task of, of reaching the world for Christ. So, so what is your part? Are you an evangelist? You just have that gift of telling people about Jesus. Are you a, a prayer warrior? You just, you know, your knees are, are buckled and hard and you just spend a lot of time praying for people. Are you a trainer, a discipler of men and women? Do you counsel defeated Christians that they might get back into the battle for souls? Do you minister to youth, children, the future of world evangelization? Do you help us worship God in such a way that our passion for His purposes are increased? Do you prayerfully and financially support those who are called to full-time ministry? And do you take every opportunity to share the gospel with your friends and your family and your neighbors, your co-workers? How are you involved in proclaiming the gospel of Christ in order that Christ might be exalted? Now, if you can't answer that question, you need to follow Paul's example. You need to allow God to invade your space. Throwing away the things that don't matter, the things that are wasting your time and wasting your life, the rubbish, and replacing them with a passion for Christ. A passion for the purposes of Christ. Now you might be thinking, well, uh, that's all well and good for Paul. I mean, he, he had that Damascus thing. Or you, pastor, that it's your job, they pay you to do these things. But I'm just a regular guy. Regular gal. Can I say that? Is gal okay? Can I get an amen? Okay. You might say, I have some passion for Christ. I want it to grow. And I know He has a purpose for my life, but, but I don't really feel equipped. I'm not ready to proclaim the gospel of Christ, that Christ may be glorified. That sounds like, oh, that's too much for me. can't do that. How am I supposed to do that? And I would say, the same way Paul did. You see, Paul's purpose from Christ was driven by his passion for Christ. And Paul's purpose for Christ was fulfilled because Paul had power through Christ. Final point. This wasn't just because Paul was this great, awesome guy. It wasn't because he had these amazing gifts. It was because he had power through Christ. Paul was only able to do what he did 
proclaim the gospel, plant churches, write much of the New Testament because Paul received the power from God through Christ. So, so what do I mean by power? Pardon this illustration. As a young person, uh, well, maybe still today, I have to admit, I'm a fan of the the powerful superheroes. These imaginary people, I know they're not real, okay, (laughs) who have special powers to to fight crime and and evil, and, you know, I know it's a little bit silly. Now, one of my favorite superheroes is uh, uh, Superman. I remember as a a small child even watching the, the Superman TV show. No, I'm not that old. It was reruns, okay? the black and white TV show, Uh, the introduction was Superman, strange visitor from another planet with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman had special powers because he was born on a different planet. He's not real. I'm just making that clear again. Uh, Superman's planet, Krypton, it had a red sun. And that means, according to the comic writers, uh, that the, their gravity was very heavy, and so they were all just strong. They didn't know they were strong because the gravity, they had a different kind of gravity. So when, when his planet exploded and his parents shipped him off to Earth, now he's in, the, in our yellow sun and our light gravity, and this gives him all kinds of special powers and abilities. Now Paul had powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men also. Paul's powers, however, did not come because he was a superman. They came because he had a super God. In Philippians 3.14, Paul speaking uh, specifically of his ability to live in difficult circumstances, he writes, I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. Paul was a regular guy, just like us, but he put his trust in an infinitely powerful God. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5, he writes about his preaching. This gives hope to me in some ways. He says, And I, uh, when I came to you, brothers, he's writing to the church in Corinth, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So when Paul preached to the Corinthians, he didn't use lofty speech or wisdom. In fact, he says he's, he's weak and he's fearful. There's some trembling going on. But he preached Christ crucified, and he preached with the power of God. Now, some might, some have said, in, in looking at this passage, maybe you didn't think of this, I'm going to tell you anyway, that the power of God there refers to, to Paul's ability to do the miraculous. So they're, they're saying that his speaking wasn't, wasn't that great, he wasn't that great of a speaker, but because he did these miracles, people believed. Now, if that's the case then unless God chooses to allow us to do some miracles, uh, then we really can't follow Paul's example. But if you you look at the context, it seems that instead of, uh, of the power of God referring to the miraculous, it refers to the Spirit's power to use Paul's weak words to work in the lives 
who, of those who hear the message of the cross. If we look at what Paul wrote just before, go back, so, so never take things in isolation. I know sometimes we have to, we're just has to be quick, but let's take some time here and look at the context. Just look back at chapter 1, 1 Corinthians. He says, verse 18, for the word, this is right before chapter 2, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the word of the cross is the power of God. The word of the cross, Christ crucified, is the power of God to those who are being saved. As Paul, or as we, speak about Christ, about His, crucifix, about his crucifixion, there's power. There's power from God that works in the lives of those who hear the message of the Gospel. He goes on, verse 21-24, through 24, becomes even more clear. He says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Okay. It seems clear that, that the, the demonstration of the Spirit's power means that the Spirit is working in the hearts of people. The message is the power of God to those who believe, to those who are called. The message is not what the Jews wanted. They wanted a miraculous sign. The message is not what the Greeks were looking for, a wise, logical argument. The message was, and the message is, the power and wisdom of God communicated by Paul through the Spirit of God to the hearts of men. So what does that mean for us? Why am I telling you this? It means that we have the same opportunity as Paul did. Because we have the same message, and we have the same God, and we have the same power that he did. And if we, like Paul, on the road to Damascus, have met Jesus Christ, then through him, we've been given the the Holy Spirit. He's entered into our lives. We have the same Spirit living in us that Paul did. We don't need to perform miracles to get people saved. We don't have to have wise arguments. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, a lot of people saw a lot of miracles and it didn't affect their heart in one bit. We think that that's the answer sometimes. It's not. We don't have to have wise arguments to be able to answer every question for people to be saved. There are people out there that are smarter than I ever thought of. They know all the answers. They do debates and stuff. And the debate's over and the guy they're debating with still does not believe. That's not the answer. We need to realize that the power of our message, the message of the gospel, comes from God. All we need to do is share it. God's in charge of the rest. God's in charge of the rest. The message has power. The, Spirit is, the Spirit's working in the hearts of the people you're talking to. The Spirit has given power to the, the message. God's in charge. Paul knew that. 1 Corinthians 3.6, we read, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. It's God's responsibility to call. It's God's responsibility to save. Our responsibility is to proclaim the message that Christ might be exalted. 
Paul understood that the the power to fulfill God's purpose and the power to see results came through Christ. So if, if, if we, like Paul, have passion for Christ, then we'll be given the power to fulfill our purpose from Christ. We can proclaim the gospel of Christ in order to exalt the glory of Christ. It's, it's my prayer that, that what we've seen in Paul's life might become an example to each of us, to all of us here at Bridges Church, that we might follow his example. Not for the glory of Paul. Paul says, follow me as I'm following Christ. Not for the glory of us, but for the glory of God, for the exaltation of Christ, that we might be people who are passionate about Jesus Christ. You want to be passionate, you know, you want to be a Jesus freak. That His love would compel us to act upon the purposes that He's given us. That we might in His power, not in our own power, not in our own strength, but in His power, we might proclaim the Gospel in order that He would be exalted, that He would be glorified. But you know what? My fear is that we won't do it. Sorry to be a a bummer, a downer here. Maybe you heard the message. Maybe you were in and out, but maybe you heard some of it. This idea of following Paul's example just seems too wild, too crazy, too overwhelming. Maybe you've lost, or maybe you've never even really felt that passion for Christ. Therefore, His love doesn't compel you to do much of anything. There's too much going on in your own life to think about the purposes of Christ. And therefore, experiencing the power and the joy of God working through you to exalt Christ by proclaiming the gospel is just not on your radar. It's not in your priority list. It's not in your wheelhouse, as, as they say. You know, okay, that's what some people should do, but I'm going to walk out and I'm going to go back to my other thing, the thing I do. Now, if that's where you are, if that's what you're feeling, then let me give you just one final illustration, application, appeal. It's, it's my final appeal. And I'm going to go to uh, my, one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, Chariots of Fire. Okay, my generation. Yes. There's a scene where uh, it's really about two uh, Olympic sprinters, runners. One of them's a, a Christian. Uh, name just went out of my brain. Eric Little. Thank you. This time, usually the illustrations are about him. I'm going to go with the other guy. Harold Abrams. He was a Jew. He was a champion sprinter, and he had never lost. He had ran and never lost, and, and, then, and then he did suffered his first defeat. After the race, he was sitting alone. He was pouting in the bleachers. When his girlfriend tried to encourage him, he shouted, if I can't win, I won't run. To which she wisely replied, if you don't run, you can't win. Abrams went on, he inspired by this. Women are great, they inspire us, don't they? Went on to win the 1924 Olympic gold medal in the 100-meter run. And my point is, no matter how defeated, dejected you feel, no matter how far from being like Paul you think you are or have the potential to be, you can't win if you don't run. 
In 2 Timothy, Paul's final letter before his death, this is his last appeal, and he knows it's coming. He says to Timothy these words, I've fought the good faith, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Paul's encouraging his brother, his disciple, his son in the faith, Timothy, and, and he says, fight. Encourage him to fight, to get in the race, to keep the faith. Do something, man. So if you're struggling with the idea of following Paul's example, let me suggest, get in the race. Get in the race. You can't win. You can't experience joy. You can't experience the power of God if you don't fight. If you don't run. So go to God. You know, I, I, God can work in your, in your life here. Go to God and ask Him. Say, Lord, I'll be honest with Him. This is, you know, you can't go to God and say, I love you, Jesus. You're so awesome. You have to go to God and say, Lord, I'm, I'm just not feeling it. I'm not feeling this, this passion, and I want to. And in faith, I'm, I'm, I'm calling on you to transform my heart, to give me what I'm lacking. Ask Him to supernaturally intervene in your heart and your life. Ask Him to reveal in a new way that you may never have experienced before His amazing love for you. His love that got Him nailed to a cross for you. That you might be, as Paul was, compelled, controlled by the love of Christ. That you might begin to experience, at least that God would give you that spark of passion for Him. And then let that that spark enable you to take a, a small step of faith. Again, asking God for wisdom, relying on God for His power, and taking that opportunity to step out Tell someone about what Jesus has done in your life. Someone who doesn't know Him. It's my prayer that each and every one of us will be able to, maybe even this week, I mean, it's Christmas time, right? What greater time than to just take an opportunity. Hey, you know, this Jesus we're celebrating that Everybody's decorating for that the lights are on. You know, he's actually a, a real person and he's, he's in my life. He loved me enough to die for me. And you know what? The same is true for you. That we might be enabled this week to follow Paul's example. That we might fight the good fight. Get in the race. Keep the faith. That we might grow in our passion for Christ. That we might rely on the power of God. That we might proclaim the gospel in order that not so we can have a notch on our belt, not so we can feel proud, but that Christ might be exalted. For if we can tell people of the love of Christ, it can't help but exalting Him. If not in their heart, in our heart. It's, it's when we step out and we start telling people about the love of Christ that that love of Christ grows in our own heart. So I'm, I'm going to pray and just ask that God would do that for each of us this week. Give us an opportunity. Give us passion and then give us an opportunity to share that love of Christ with those in our life. Father God, we do come into your presence and we thank you that you can use uh, people. You used Paul. Paul was uh, far from you and you reached down out of heaven and you grabbed him and you said, I'm going to use you. You're mine now. Lord, I pray you would do that for us. You would take each of us 
Lord, and you would transform our hearts. You would, you would make your love for us so real, so compelling, that our lives would be controlled by it, Lord. Lord that you would give us passion for, for Christ. And we would be passionate to fulfill the purposes he's given us, Lord. Use us this week for your glory, that Christ might be exalted. In, in your power, let us go forth from this place, just taking opportunities to tell people uh, of the Christ of Christmas. For your glory, in Christ's name we pray, amen.